So this morning, we're going to talk about whose am I? Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Victor talked about who am I? And we visited as we will kind of touch on a couple of things today about how we search for our identity here on earth and within the realms of life and how difficult it is. But the theme today I want to focus on is who God is and who we really belong to. So we'll be in the 139th Psalm this morning. We'll be in the second chapter of Ephesians. So if you want to grab your Bibles like your life depended upon it, because it does and just kind of go along as we go through his word and listen to what he has to say to us this morning. So I'm going to start in the 139th Psalm, begin with the first verse. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know, when I sit down and stand up, you know, my thoughts, even when I'm far away, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home, you know, everything I do, you know, what I, what I am going to say before I say it, Lord, you go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. So often we forget who we belong to and how he created each and every one of us and how deeply he knows us. Often we do not let those around us, people we know and sometimes even family, to really know us because we would feel bad if they discovered something about us that we think they may not like or we know they will not like. But our master whose slave we are already knows everything about us and still he accepts us and still he loves us. His total awareness should bring fear and comfort at the same time to each of us because he stays with us through every valley we walk through. He's protecting us, he's loving us, he's guiding us, and he's doing it unconditionally. God is omnipresent, meaning that he is present everywhere. Because of this, we cannot escape his spirit. And again, this is the good news for believers, for nothing can separate us from the love of God. If you'll skip down to the 13th verse of the 139th Psalm, we're going to hear a little more about our master, and how he is our creator. The psalmist writes, you made, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in the utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How shocked would David be if he knew in this day and time how easy it was to destroy an unborn child? Here David shows God's love for the unborn and their mothers and fathers, and we should pray and work to, for the protection of these lives. They are the least of these, and they are the most vulnerable. They do not have a voice. They cannot defend themselves. They cannot care for themselves. But clearly, they are God's creation. You see, God's character goes into every creation of every person. When you feel worthless or even begin to hate yourself, remember God's spirit 
is ready and willing to work within you. Because of Jesus Christ, we are new persons. So we should have respect and regard for ourselves and for others just as he respects and has regard for us. So the question of identity in this day and age seems to be of real urgency. Pastor Victor talked about this last week as we seek to find our identity in status, to find it in money, to find it in fame, to find it in titles, and on and on of all those worldly things that we seek. You know, often we think that it's teenagers that are looking for the meaning of life or trying to find their identity and struggle with that, but there are also parents whose children have moved out of the house, and there are retirees who don't have a place to go to in the morning. There's a wife or a husband whose spouse has passed on. At one time or another, we have sought to try to figure out, who am I? We've tried to figure out what's the meaning of life. We forget whose we are and that he already has a purpose for our life. We need to just follow him. Again, the 139th Psalm informs us that even if we struggle with these questions, we are fully known to our Lord. So as he leads us through this morning, let us each acknowledge that we should fully know who we belong to. We belong to God. He's our master. Jesus is our savior. We are his servants. We are his slaves. Our purpose on this, lo- and the, on this earth is to love him and to love others with our every being. We are obedient to his will and his calling for our lives. Our identity is not rooted in the things that we might say about ourselves or what others say about us or labels that we have. But it's about what God says about us. And God knows us as deeply or more lovingly than we will ever know ourselves. We are his children here for his purpose. You know, in the third chapter of Exodus, Moses gets to meet God face to face. And God tells him that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he tells Moses, this is holy ground that you are standing on. Moses was afraid to look at God. So we see that God, our friend, is a sovereign Lord. We must respect and show sincerity to his love for us. We approach him daily in situations that we don't realize that he's there. He is. We should invite him into every situation. And the irony is he's already there. The fact is he's invited us into those scenarios. He's a creator of all life, and that includes your life. So we should adjust our attitude so it's suitable and humble for approaching a holy God. The spirit of the psalm we heard was written not only for fear of God, but as a spirit of trust, not guilt, but praise, not judgment, but grace. God's intimate involvement with us is not a threat. It's an act of grace. We're invited to trust God. His grace encompasses us in ways that are beyond our full understanding. We think about the role that incarnation plays in God's wonderful knowledge of us. But here's the fact. Jesus didn't come down in human form to figure out what it was like to be a human. 
God created humans. He knew the struggles that we would have as humans. Jesus came to earth for our benefit, not God's. God already knew the struggles we would be having. He understands all our suffering, all our pain. In the 12th verse of the 139th Psalm, we read, to you, night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You see, there is no darkness when God is present, for he is light. In the 23rd verse of the 139th Psalm, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Do you live that way? Do you say, God, it's okay. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Search me. Test me. Scriptures tell us, Jesus tells us, you're going to be tested. And we see testings of those that have followed God. And yet we're offended sometimes when we're tested. And yet we have this knowing that we have a forgiving God that loves us. And even when we turn from him, he still loves us. We make choices that are against his desire and will for us. But yet we don't like to be tested. We don't like to be challenged. You see, God knows our heart and he longs to bring sinners back into his fold. Billy Graham once said, there's no perfect churches, but if there were, I couldn't join it because it would no longer be perfect. I am sure that we'll all agree as you look at scriptures that that's true. There are those that walked with God, but they made mistakes. They're imperfect. God made a powerful promise to Sarah, and what did she do? She laughed. Jacob deceived his father and stole his brother's birthrights. Jonah ran for God from God. Martha worried way too much. Peter denied Christ, and when Jesus asked his disciples to pray for him and with him, they fell asleep. They all loved the Lord, but like you and I, they were imperfect. So why did God continue to love these people? When he corrected them and brought them back, and they fled again, and he corrected them, and he brought them back, why, is, why does God do that? Well, open up your Bible now to Ephesians, to the second chapter. I'll begin in the fourth verse. But God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of an incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do good things he has planned all along for us. 
God made us, and he's not given up on us. So he continues to forgive us and grant us grace and mercy. We are blessed with God's unmerited grace. Not because of our effort, not because of our ability, not because of our intelligence, not because of choices we made or acts of service on our part, and certainly not because of luck. Our gratitude for this free gift should be that our hearts overflow with desire to be obedient to him and to serve others with kindness and love and gentleness. We are not saved for our own benefit, but for his service and to build Christ's kingdom. When someone buys you something, sometimes you may say, how much do I owe you? But with God's grace, you simply say thank you. You can never repay that. And God loves us so much that we don't really owe him anything other than to be his child and be obedient to him and to love him. We should joyously seek to serve our master because, our sal- not because of our salvation and even our faith. They're gifts from the, our creator. We are God's masterpiece. Uh, some translations say it's workmanship. Well, workmanship translated means masterpiece. We are a work of art. Think about how he has put us together. He knows the things that we can have free choices, free will with. He knows the things that, you know, how your hands work and your feet work, and you can go in this direction or that direction. But he knows some things that we just, he needed to take care of. Thank goodness we breathe automatically. How many of us would get so busy we go, oh, yeah, I'm forgetting to breathe, aren't I? So he put us together perfectly, so perfectly that even doctors are still today marveled at some of the ways he can heal his creation. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make junk. We are expressions of the worth that God gives us, the work of his own hands. You know, when you, if you're in a car wreck and you bend your car up, or another car bends your car up, or a tree bends your car up, but your car gets bent, you want your car to go back to looking the way it did before. In fact, you want it to look better than it did before. So you spend a lot of money, and you get it running the way it was before, or you just may give up on it and say, I'll just buy a new one. Let me tell you how sin works in your life. You get a scar from sin, God still loves you. Even if that blunt fender has been in, you're still gorgeous to God. He's still going to use you. In fact, when you repent of your sins, some of those scars you carry from life are signs of victory in Jesus. But so often we want to try to hide them. We are created in love by the love of God. We should rejoice that how we are knitted together. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, where you come from, no matter what people have told you about you, 
you have infinite worth to God. You are great because the one that created you is great. Each and every one of you are a first-round pick of God. You didn't go in the second round. You went in the first round. And I know to some of you, when you were growing up and maybe in elementary school and you were the last one that was picked, God picks you all first. You're his children. We need not struggle or be afraid because of God. He knows each and every one of us. He knows us better than ourselves. The psalmist insists whether we are aware of God or not, God completely knows us. Yet we put fences around ourselves so people can't really know us. You know, I can remember when I was growing up, people fenced their yards in, but it was chain link fence, and you could see all the way down the neighborhood. Now we put wooden fences up because how dare somebody look into my yard? How dare somebody see what I am doing? We guard information about ourselves, and we share only what we very must. And I understand that. I know nobody wants to get their identity stolen. But we go to great lengths not to reveal things to others. Sometimes to our own family and to our friends. If some information were discovered, our entire world would probably crumble. Think of the scrutiny that politicians go through and how fast and how hard they fall when something unacceptable is discovered. God knows everything. So when we are asked, who am I? Remind them whose you are. Remind yourself whose you are. The Christian should answer, I am God's child. I am knitted together by him. I am beloved by him. I am loved by the one who says he is still with me. And by the grace of God, one day I can proclaim as Paul did in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything perfectly, face to face. All that I know is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. So often we are like a cloudy mirror to others. We do not perfectly reflect Jesus. We only have partial knowledge of God's will. We are immature and we are conditional with love for others. But soon we will have a complete understanding and appreciation of one another as the unique expressions of God's infinite creativity. I don't know that we grasp when God began to put us together and when God began to give us purpose in this life. Because so often in life we have struggled to figure out where we think we belong rather than asking him where we belong. When we're in situations, we're trying to figure out what is God, what are you doing to me, God? Why am I in this? When in reality, God has placed you in that spot because he needs to use you. I'm reminded of those that have said, God, you got to get me a new job. I'm not making enough money. I need to be making more money. And God will bless them with a job. 
and they get in that job and they say, God, there's nobody here that is a believer. Why did you give me this job? Well, first of all, you asked for more money, so I answered that prayer. Second of all, I need you to do something. So often when we're asked to do something for God, we want to say, sure, in a minute, in a month, when I get time. God, do you know how busy I am? Yes, I know how busy you are with earthly things. And I know how busy you are for me. And there's really no comparison. In prison ministry, I've heard these guys in prison, with some with no hope of ever getting out, sing a song. And I'm certainly not going to try to sing it because you guys will hate the song if I try to sing it. But it's a song called I Give Myself Away by William McDowell. And I want to read some of the words. And I want you to picture these guys in white singing this song. Where they are and the love that they have for God and the willingness they have to be his vessel. These words are, I give myself away so that you can use me. Here I am, here I stand, Lord. My life is in your hands. Lord, I am longing to see your desires revealed to me. I give myself away. I want to be used by you. I give myself away so you can use me. Take my heart, take my life as a living sacrifice. All my dreams, all my plans, Lord, I place in your hands. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away, Lord. I give myself away. My mind does not belong to me. I give myself away so that you can use me. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself away. We do not like being vulnerable. We do not like giving anybody control over things that we say and do. We want to do it ourselves. But yet in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 3, Jesus speaks these words, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now he's not talking about the little kids screaming, mine, and throwing a little temper tantrum. That's not the childlikeness he wants. He wants you to have a heart of a child that's humble, that's sincere, that's trusting, especially in areas where you struggle in life. You know, I, I, you've probably all been through this where your, your little one is going to jump in the pool and they've got the little floaties on and you're standing in the pool and you tell them, come on, I got you. Jump. And it may take them a little bit, but they jump. God's in that pool going, come on, I got you. And sometimes we'll go, but I can't swim. Well, you know that little one, they can't swim. Yet it doesn't matter to them because they trust you that much. We should trust God that much. Sometimes children are very bold with what they say. But how often do we find that they speak honestly? And out of the mouths of babes, sometimes I think we hear from prophets in the heavens. 
You see, they have humility and they have a face of grace on them. Again, you are his masterpiece. So show the grace that he has placed in your life and show it to others. So often in life, too, as we struggle, we want things to be the way we want them. In fact, we'll look for results before we'll jump into a situation. We'll ask the question, so what's this going to look like? Tell me how this is going to end. You're the guy that reads the first chapter and then reads the last chapter because you want to know how it ends. We often function as God is, as though God has not been in that situation until we got there. God was there when he brought you in. We expect that anything that God does through us to be completed while we can see the results. And oh, shame on us when we become impatient if God intends to complete a work later on or through somebody else or even through another generation. It's not about you. It's about God and what he's doing. And then there are those that from time to time just want to give up on life. And Lorena mentioned this a while ago. Our, our lives seem to be very chaotic these days. But bring anything that seems like a disaster or seems drastic. Take it to your master that has knitted you together, the God of miracles, and let him work in your life. Let him show you how to tweak and clean up and fix and even get a new life. You are the masterpiece created by Jesus Christ for good works. So you must trust him. You must walk with him. Story is that Michelangelo was walking down the street one day and he saw a block of, of, uh, of granite. And he saw it. He said, I see an angel inside that block. And he picked up a chisel and started working. In the same way, God is at work on us. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. And he sees in us things that we don't see. Sometimes things we don't want to see. But sometimes things we don't want to believe. And Satan will have us drag our past around with us all the time. And quite frankly, will remind us how unworthy we are of God's grace. And want to beat us down. I want to remind us of all those things. But you know what? Think about where God has brought you. And take those scars as victory scars of the blood of Jesus getting you to where you are. I'll tell you a story about John. Not John down here, but another John. John was, uh, des- had deserted from the British Royal Navy and was caught. He was flogged. He was demoted. He wrote disrespectful songs about his ship's captain, and he was demoted again. He used very colorful, sharp-witted profanity laced against all those Christians. Truly, he was a degenerate man. One day on the ship during a very large and dangerous storm, he thought maybe now is the time to act as though the good news about Jesus was true. And he made the decision to live for Christ. After his conversion and naval career, he became a pastor. And he became devoted to spreading the good news. So often he would accompany his sermons with hymns that he wrote. 
on Sunday, January the 1st, 1773, John Newton shared these words with his congregation. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine, found, was blind, and now that I, now I see. God doesn't make junk. We get sideways occasionally. But God wants us back. God wants to forgive us. You see, the Bible is a grace book. And Ephesians is the grace book within the grace book. Right after Paul reminds us in the first three verses of the second chapter of Ephesians of our life apart from Christ and the truths about our spiritual lives and of the lives of those that still do not have a relationship with Jesus, Paul speaks one word that bridges the gap between the sinner's doomed past and their destined future after accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that word is but. With one word, Paul sings amazing grace. Thankfully, God's grace came to us not based on anything that we had to do, anything that we could ever do. It's just strictly based on God's love and his mercy. It's not because we're good enough or deserving enough and not because we have great intellect. And it's not because he feels sorry for us. No, grace is an outpouring of the unconditional love that God has for a lost sinner. Someone that he knitted together to be his masterpiece. I remind you that in the 8th and ninth and 10th verse of Ephesians, we read that God saved you by his grace when you believed. You cannot take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he had planned for us long ago. There's a reason he saves us by grace and has left us here. We are here for his purpose. That purpose is not for or about us but about his will for us to help others see what his grace has done in our lives. We live for him. It's not about what we do, but what he does through us. When an artist creates a masterpiece, it's not the masterpiece that does the work. The masterpiece receives the work of the master. Folks, he doesn't want us just to be an information box for him. He wants to be involved in our lives. He wants to do that so he can work through you. God shows us what he wants. For the rest of your life on earth, since he saved you, he wants you to yield yourself to his purpose, to his pleasure, to his goals. He wants you to give your life to him. We know his saving grace, his sustaining grace, his strengthening grace, his sovereign grace, and his securing grace so that we can live in the riches of eternity. So when someone asks you your name, tell them. When someone asks you who you are, smile. And see a wonderful opportunity to share about the creator, the master, your savior that has knitted you together. I want to take some time this as we close out. I want us to think about and ponder and pray, and you can do it there. 
We're going to have some prayer partners come up. To, they'll, they'll be in the front. We, I think we have some in the back. I'll just ask them in a minute just to stand up. If you want to come and rededicate your life to Christ, if you want to finally get rid of something you're carrying around, let's do it today. For you have been knitted by the Creator. So we're going to hear a song. I just want you to listen to the words so you'll understand whose you really are. And if we could dim the lights a little bit as we go through this. So this is, this is your time. And let God speak to you through these words that you hear because it tells you whose you are. Okay. Oh. 